Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 15, Acts chapter 15. Um, and I was saying uh, earlier when I was doing the reading that uh, we are beginning a next, another significant section in the book of Acts, uh, looking now at Paul's second missionary journey. So um, the, especially with, with Paul as a focal central figure, um, the second uh, endeavor and effort made by the, the church to begin to obey the, the leading of the Spirit of God and God's command to them to expand the message and to spread the message of the gospel. And it's important to say that, isn't it, that this was the, this was, and I've said this a number of times, this was the heart, the impulse of the church. Um, that this was a sense of their their sense of purpose and vision was that they had this duty, um, amongst other things, a central um, duty they had was to see themselves as involved in making the gospel known. Of course, in their uh, surroundings and in their vicinity, but where the gospel had not been known, they were to take the gospel to the nations and that the church must always pursue this instinct that um, God himself, Christ himself, places in the church. He has made us to be just that. The same way Christ has made us, I'm not sure what that is. Okay. I was just worried that something was going to fall on me, but it's just good. The same way, sorry, that... um, Jesus Christ has made us to be the pillar and the ground of truth. And, and so we are to feel this instinct and we're to stir it up and we're to protect this instinct that we have to defend the cause of God's truth, to stand up for truth and to proclaim it clearly without equivocation, without adulterating it, altering it, anything like that, but just to, to preach the truth of Christ. It's the same way we're to also to protect and to preserve and to um, fan this instinct that we have, this impulse to share the gospel with others. That's part of what it means to be the church. I'm, I'm not saying that the church is always sensitive enough to it as it should be or that we're always fulfilling or as being as faithful in that cause as we should be. But let's have no, let's be in no doubt about that. When we're not Fulfilling that, uh, that that call, when we're not fulfilling that calling, when there's not a, a, when we're not stirred up to be constantly thinking through how we may take the gospel to others, we are not being faithful. We're not being faithful. It doesn't matter what's going on in that church. In one area, you're, you're being unfaithful. So it's it's it, it, this, and 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 I say that because these next few sections that we're going to read this. Next two significant sections in the book of Acts are, are all have at the heart of it the fleshing out, the unveiling, the revealing of this impulse in the life of the church. The church is an outgoing um, company of people and they go out and they take the good news to others and they're seeking to make converts. Uh, again, I don't think. That idea is a very nice one today. It does not, uh, people don't take to it very nicely. Um, I was, incidentally, I was 
went out with some of the folks today to to evangelize in the uh, um, in Victoria Park where where some of the brethren go biweekly, and we were out there and we were talking with a few people, which was it was by the way it was an amazing time, and so as they've been saying Sunday after Sunday now that they would like you to add your name to the rota, you absolutely have to do that. You have to if you're someone who maybe is. If you're not like me, very bold and confident. I'm not. I was really, really bad out there. I was helped by by Marianne. But um, if you're not a very confident person, then you, the best thing you can do is is get your name. Just put your name on that rotor, and then these guys will come to you like bodyguards at one point after the service and make sure you go. When you're out there, you have no choice. But you'll be doing, yeah, you'll be engaged in quite easily the best thing you could be doing with your with your life that day, that week. I have no doubt about that. Telling people about the gospel. And when we were out there, we was talking to someone. And I could see, we were, I was, we were talking to a lady, and I could see the resistance she had to the idea that I might be suggesting that I wanted her to be converted to, to not to my way, but you know, to, to, to this, 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 this truth, to this Jesus. You know, she was, she was appreciative of what we were saying and what we were explaining, and of Christian morality and so on. But she preferred to live her life as someone who didn't tell others what to do. This is, this is my way of thinking. This is how I like to live. And, you know, I don't impose myself. I don't, you know, I love what you guys are doing. And you, you stay, yeah, great. Carry on doing it. And I'll even allow you to talk to me. But don't overstep the boundary of suggesting that maybe I might forsake my way of life and turn to this one that you present. And with as much wisdom as you can and, and grace and respect, I'm, I'm thinking about how I can let this lady know that there is an unmistakable, unavoidable impulse in my message that wants to tell you that you have to change. You have to, you have to come to this side, right? Not like if your doctor is telling you that you... He's giving you a very serious diagnosis and he's telling you that unless you change your lifestyle habits, you are going to die. Not like you can, you can hear him saying anything, but you need to stop the way you're living. Because who really chooses death, right? You want to live, right? Well, this is the only way. And that impulse is in Christianity, right? And um, we're going to see that in the coming weeks. The same method, God's church yields itself to him, pursues opportunities to share the truth. The gospel is preached. Men and women are saved. They're converted. Persecution is sprinkled in, in and around that as well. But nothing stops the gospel. And we, we have some, um, some of the most um, amazing, well-known, heartwarming gospel stories uh, gospel stories, testimonies of conversion if you want to look at. And so I'm, I look forward to the next week thinking about the well-known conversion of Lydia. Speaking about Lydia's testimony before we have a testimony night where Lydia's heart was open. God opened her heart. What a beautiful way to speak about what happens in, in, in this work of conversion. And then the following week at our baptism service, it's, I'm, I'm also looking forward to being able to speak about the conversion of the Philippian jailer, right? Those well-known stories of how God saves sinners and to speak about that at baptism service. And so we have all these wonderful uh, stories to look at, narrations to look at about how missions in action and what's happening 
when these folks are going out on mission. But before we, we come to those, there are these three um, accounts, these three stories that I want us to look at, almost like preliminary issues um, that in, in those verses that I've read, they, they, they don't seem as, as major as, as far as getting to the heart of what missions is about as you know, when we see, uh, say for example, a Lydia being converted because the apostles go to where she has her usual prayer meeting and they speak to her about the words of Christ. Um, so they don't seem as central and as yet yeah, to, to, to missions as that, but they are recorded by, by Luke. Luke does record them as being, uh, and so the, he must have seen them as being important enough to explain aspects of, of this work of mission. And the way I've thought through them to, to tonight is to say that they, these are, um, th these could be seen as little barriers, little hindrances in the road to missions as, 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 as Paul is embarking on this mission. But that neither Paul nor the Lord allowed to be uh, barriers to the spread of the gospel. Um, so they were little, there were some inconveniences, challenges here and there, but none of these things um, were obstacles to the focus being kept, um, the focus kept on being the ministry of the gospel. When all is said and done, we had to keep, they had to keep on seeking ways to ensure that the message was spread. Um, and that's what we see, even as we um, even as we actually see that there was genuine hindrances and challenges that these folks face. And so uh, I want to look at these, these sections with you. First is in uh, verse 36 to 41, the first sort of hindrance that is recorded. Now, it should be said at this point, so Paul, you know he has been, the first missionary journey, Paul's, um, Paul's fellow worker is Barnabas, and they've, they've done a lot of work and traveling together. Now, at this point, Having returned to Jerusalem for a season, they are going back out there. Uh, return to Jerusalem and then to Antioch. They're going back out there. And one of the things they want to do is they want to go back to those churches where they originally shared the gospel. That was part of part of missions work as well, right? Um, they, 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 they go back to, if you want, pastorally check on those new converts. So at some level, part of missions work will involve those who are involved in missions, and when we get involved in missions work, we're also involved in ensuring that those who hear the gospel and are converted to the gospel are established in the gospel. Of course, the way you pro provide for that is by, is by establishing churches and uh, seeking qualified, and, uh, qualified men to, to, to care pastorally for the souls who are converted. But part of missions work in, at some level is not just that we share the gospel with folks, but that we, or, or that we, we baptize folks, but that we seek their establishing in the faith, that makes sure that they, they're growing um, and they're being confirmed in, in, in the faith. And that's, one of, that's part of the, the work that Paul and Barnabas uh, are about to go and do at this point. But Luke records that there is a separation. There's this separation between these two important figures in the mission work of the church. Right, so um, they both agree that they should go back to these cities where they had preached and check on their new converts. 
But they both can't agree on who else should be involved in this work. Um, one, John Mark, who actually had been, uh, Mark who had been, we've been introduced to him earlier actually in chapter 13 actually, where we're told about this issue that um, he, when they had reached a certain point, he decided to, to turn back. He, he didn't carry on with them. And Paul is evidently not happy with that. Paul says, um, I see his, his turning back. I think perhaps Paul sees his turning back as maybe an evidence of an unpreparedness. Um, he's not yet, he can't be trusted with this level of stewardship at this point. And Paul wants him to, to go back home and get his act together. Barnabas sees differently, possibly because actually this fellow is, is, is we read later on in the New Testament, is some kind of relation of Barnabas is his cousin or something. So is there like a, is there a nepotism about it? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But, it, but that might be the bias. But either way, um, Paul does not think, sorry, Barnabas doesn't think that um, Mark's, you might call it failings at the initial missions, is enough to not give him you know, a second chance at this point. We should, we should allow him to come with us. And we might not, um, we, we may not see this as serious an issue enough um, unless we, 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 we bear witness that Luke says there was a sharp disagreement. Verse 39, it was a serious disagreement. It was something that provoked the both of them. So there was, there was strong feeling for passionate exchanges of disagreement. Uh, again, so much so that they, they couldn't carry on with this work that they were doing. They, they, they couldn't carry on together. Um, Paul wasn't going to budge on his unwillingness to have, that, that this man shouldn't come with him. I, I, and again, we don't know the full details. Maybe Paul was concerned that it wouldn't show enough sternness or seriousness if they approved Mark so early on after he had turned his back on them or after he had shown this, this, fail, this, this frailty. And Barnabas thinks we should extend grace, more grace to him. Um, you know, Luke doesn't tell us either way who is in the right or who is in the wrong. People have said, have had their opinions on the issue. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, the, 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 the most obvious reading of the text tells us that Neither was neither of them were necessarily right or wrong. That they, they, they both felt how they felt. There's not a kind of divine um, settling of the issue. There's just a serious disagreement between two um, faithful, honest men. And um, it's strong enough for them to want to part ways. Um, and it's a it's a it's a it's a huge thing. I mean. Initially, the reason why Paul records it, sorry, Luke records it, is because he's about to emphasize that Paul goes the rest of his journey. And obviously, the focus is Paul from here on. And Paul goes without Barnabas, right? So it's exp he's explaining why Barnabas is no longer with Paul in subsequent journeys. But again, Luke sees it as significant enough to be able to tell us about it. Um, that um, there was this disagreement. So there's this great separation between two crucial figures. I don't know that, it, I'm sure it wasn't the most encouraging thing for the, for the church, and I'm sure that people would have tried to intervene and would have wished that both these men could have come to 
a resolution. Um, but but the, the, the main thing I'm, I'm saying here is none of those things were allowed to stop the work of the gospel. So, so when, we, when we look at gospel work, it's important for us to know, first of all, that there can be, there can be disagreement between Christian people when they're involved in even work as, as, as sacred as the gospel. You know, and there, there can be disagreement, and that, that can happen, and it's of, of, often sad. It's often sharp, but it does happen, and, and the history of the Christian faith, maybe the existence of denominations is, is in some way a testimony to that, that Christians often have deep convictions, deep, um, deep feelings about things, and deep, uh, they have views that they, they, they're just not going to budge on, and so... Sometimes we, we say, actually, yeah, this disagreement is so sharp that it's actually wise that there be this separation. Um, for example, uh, people have, I'm sure most people agree that the, if, if, if one person has a strong conviction that, if, well, if you understand anyway, infant baptism and the, 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 con- the strength of the convictions that underlie baptizing infants, for example, um, I think many of us understand that there should be some kind of separation when, if a congregation decides that they want to baptize infants, and there's people in that congregation who say, no, I, I can't see that as something that, the, that is right for a Christian to do. Um, two ministers, two pastors, they have strong views on it. You can understand, for example, when there might be separation in that kind of instance. You say, oh, that's such a strong issue, and understanding how that kind of thing can affect church practice actually probably the wisest thing to do, sadly, would be for there to be some kind of separation. And that's played itself out over and over again in the history of the church. And, and, and it's just a reminder that God uses men, God uses people. Um, the people that God uses in, in gospel work are flesh and blood, um, and they're, they're real men, they're real people, and they have different temperaments. They have, they're emotional, and they have different passions, and Paul reacts to one thing a certain way and sees it a certain way. Barnabas is a, is a, is a, has a different demeanor, a different disposition, and different ter- temperament. And those things can affect um, conviction about things and how we approach certain matters. Uh, but what is crucial is uh, that even in the midst of separation, disagreement between men, um, the gospel continues to be preached. The gospel continues to go on. So ultimately, in fact, as many commentators have observed, the separation of Paul and and Barnabas probably leads to more blessing for the church. Now there's two men going separate ways, but now they can be in more more places at once. Um, Paul is forced to add to his team, so Silas becomes involved. Timothy becomes involved, so there's more men involved. So, so, So actually the separation eventually leads to even the greatest spread of the gospel, and, and very often again, that's happened in the life of the church, that people, have, men have separated, sometimes in, 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 in bitter ways, but it's actually meant that there's more, um, there's, there's more opportunity now for the gospel to be spread in different areas by different people. That's what, again, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't think denominations are in, in necessarily a good thing, I think there's something about denominations and and, and, and how they, they, they reflect that the church hasn't arrived at its, its, its unity. But also we can see how the, the, the 
multiplying of denominations has been very useful in making sure that there's a witness to Christ in different parts of the world. Because if you go to a different country where the predominant denomination there is, say, like a Pentecostal denomination, but then you have many Pentecostal churches and they're, they're preaching the gospel, and you're not Pentecostal yourself, you may, yeah, you may, you may say, oh, that, that's not my denomination, but you rejoice that the gospel is preached. And you see how God has used that sort of separation or division to allow the gospel to reach the farthest part of the earth. And none of us complain about that. We don't complain about that. We, 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 we're concerned and we, 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 we want to make sure that truth is up, up, upheld and we still hold our convictions. But we thank God that the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached. Not even this fierce separation was a hindrance to the gospel. And it's a warning to us as well that um, to, to, to make sure, to, to realize that even when there can be disagreement, in, in gospel ministry, we, 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 we do so in a way that doesn't, um, that, that, that we don't become a hindrance ourselves to the work of the gospel. Sometimes deep convictions, deep feeling over things means that there's separation. But the gospel must always be primary. And we must always, even if there is separation, um, we're not going to become hindrances ourselves to the gospel. Um, and even when there is separation, we can rejoice in the work of the gospel. There has to be something in us that can re rejoice in the work of the gospel that's happening in other denominations, right? I'm not saying that we should countenance denominations that are preaching, if they're teaching falsehood, they're teaching the prosperity gospel, uh, they're teaching uh, motivational gospel. I'm not saying we should countenance that or defend that. But if, if there's a denomination that... You know, other denominations maybe were different because of worship styles or whatever reason why I'm be different and we might have different denominations. But, they, but there is a genuine desire to preach the gospel. There has to be something in us that can rejoice in that. Um, see, they, 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 they love Jesus. I, I've seen it. I, I've, I've heard. I, I don't, don't agree with his view of his understanding. Of course, we must separate primary from secondary truths and so on. I don't agree with their views on, on this issue. And I don't, I wouldn't say that this way. And I just, yes, but ultimately there's, there's, there's a, a love for Christ and he's being proclaimed and he's being preached and uh, whatever separation is formed because of our convictions and our humanness, we must make sure that the gospel stays as priority. So we see that there, that not even separation was to get in the way of, of making sure that the gospel continues to go forth because that's exactly what happens. These men separate but the gospel continues to go. It's, it's a bitter separation as well. That's what Luke seems to tell us. Not a, not, not, a, not a nice one. Thankfully, later on, we, we definitely see that there's some kind of reconciliation on this issue. But, it's, 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 but, but the gospel goes on. And next, next, next in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 16, right through to verse 5, another thing that happens where, again, it could be a hurdle. There's a hurdle here. But, but the apostle Paul... He's showing us how he's about to embark on his mission. Nothing is going to get in the way of making sure that the work of the gospel continues to go forward. All right? God wants the gospel to go forward, and Paul's going to do that. And here is, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a matter of sacrifice. All right? There's certain sacrifices that need to be made for the cause of the gospel. Now, quite quickly, when, when Paul carries on now with his missionary journey, he, he decides that he wants to take with him a, a man who becomes quite prominent, course, in the rest of the New Testament, Timothy, this young man, Timothy, who perhaps was converted when Paul first visited his, his city on his first missionary journey, and now he's matured and he's grown and he's spoken well of by the rest of the people, and Paul sees that this man is, is called to serve 
in this regard. But as uh, Luke records for us, there, an issue arises because, uh, again, this Paul is about to take Timothy into an area where there is a there is a significant amount of of Jews that they will be ministering to, and you know Paul. Part of his habit at this point while he's doing his missions is also to still go into the synagogues and to share the gospel with the Jews. But, but Timothy is, uh, is a man of um, mixed ethnicity. He's, he's Jewish by his, uh, his, his, his mother, but he's Greek by his, his father. And that's going to present a problem when they go into the synagogues because um, because Timothy not being fully Greek, fully Gentile, uh, having a Jewish mother, the Jews may have expected him to abide by certain Jewish laws and principles, including circumcision. And, and so if Paul brings this man of Jewish heritage with him, even though he has a Greek father, but he's not fully Greek or fully Gentile, he has, a Jewish, he has Jewish heritage. If he brings this man of Jewish heritage with him, but he's uncircumcised, and it, it, it's come to be seen that he's, uh, he's not circumcised. It, it, may, it may seem like he's a man who is just here to flout Jewish custom. He's here to disregard Jewish heritage. And this is the thing about Paul's views on something like circumcision. Paul's issue with circumcision was he would never tolerate the suggestion that circumcision saved. It doesn't save. It doesn't add to. You don't need to add circumcision to the saving work of Christ. But Paul did not care if a people decided to have it as part of their tradition or customs for whatever reason. You do what you want in that regard. As long as you don't say it contributes to salvation. If it was, if you had it because it reminded you of the great traditions of the great fathers of your tribe, or reminded you of the great things that happened in the life of Abraham and so on and so forth, you can have your circumcision for that reason. Paul didn't care ultimately for that. But you, he, his issue was that it, you were never to suggest that somehow circumcision was a work that made you more acceptable to God or that saved you. Um, and so if, if Timothy was fully Gentile, for example, fully Greek, Paul would not have suggested that he um, be circumcised because in that regard, these Jews would have been asking or would have been concerned that Timothy wasn't doing something to make himself right with God, circumcision. And Paul would have said, absolutely not. This has nothing to do with uh, being right with God. But where Timothy was Jewish, the issues that the Jews may have had was, is this man just come, is he just wanting to, as a Jew, is he just wanting to undermine our great traditions? Even if it wasn't a matter of salvation, is he, is he somehow demeaning our Jewish roots? And Paul decided that he wouldn't cause that kind of offense. The point is, it wasn't worth it. Why would it, it, would, it wasn't worth it for me to cause this kind of offense. Some offense is necessary. Some offense we can't get away from. The gospel is offensive at some level. Absolutely, and Paul was always willing to do that. But he was not willing to cause offense where it was not necessary. Why would I cause this offense and then lose the opportunity to share the gospel with his people? So he says, essentially to Timothy, we have to make a sacrifice. The way Paul lived was, yes, I'm free. And I belong to nobody. Oh, the freedom of the Christian is... Is, 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 is a powerful truth in the scriptures. The only person who is Lord of our conscience is Jesus. We are free to think how we want, to live how we want, to the glory of Christ. It doesn't matter what the culture is saying. Like the culture can be saying a million things. I do not have to believe it. 
I don't have to think it. The culture can be approving of me. I do not have to approve it. I'm free. My conscience is free as long as I glorify Jesus. I'm free. It's a powerful thing to understand what the Bible is saying when we're free. Obligated to no one. Not even our government. I'm free to live as I want to the glory of Christ. My, my conscience is not bound even by the government. It's, that, that's why, for example, during COVID, and I didn't, I'm not saying I agreed with this necessarily, but you know, there was many churches who, when the government said, you have to close down because of COVID, and you can't, there was many churches who, being convinced that the scriptures required them to meet and to, to, to place the priority of meeting with Christians above COVID regulations, actually continued meeting and opened their doors. I'm not saying necessarily that I agree with that, but something about me rejoices in the display of freedom that these men and women show because we are Christians. We belong to Jesus alone, so we're free. But you know what the Bible says? We, but we are to use our freedom to serve. That's where, that's where maybe I may have disagreed with my brothers and sisters there. But anyway, we're to use our freedom to serve others. We are free. We're to use our freedom to sacrifice for the well-being, in particular, the salvific well-being of others. Yes, I'm free to do everything I... I'm free to do all this. I'm free to, to do this to the glory of God. I'm free to drink what I want, eat what I want to the glory of God. But if my eating and drinking is going to present a salvific obstacle to someone, perish this thought, what does me withholding my freedom compare to the salvation of a soul? And that's what... That's the... That's the, the, the math that Paul did, the calculation Paul did. Yes, Timothy does not have to be circumcised to be right with God. He's free from that. No one can bind his conscience by it. But if this circumcision is going to be an obstacle to sharing the gospel, then we, we should make the sacrifice. And we should not allow sacrifices that we have to make to be a hindrance to gospel work. Sometimes we, we need to go the extra mile sacrifice certain things, and we must be ready to do so. And sacrifices should not be a hindrance, it's a hindrance to the gospel work. And Paul tells us, because he starts how he means to go, that as far as doing gospel work, he was going to be willing to sacrifice as much as he could. I'm going to be, he says, I made myself a servant to all, is how he explains his ministry elsewhere, that I might save some, that I might win some for Christ. And if we're going to be committed to winning souls for Jesus. We're going to have that, 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 the, that, that, that vision that Christ wants for us as a church. Then it includes being willing to sacrifice things that we may freely enjoy for the sake of the gospel. We're not going to stand on our rights when we have the freedom to sacrifice them because the gospel is way more important than some than than. than my own personal rights or my freedom. The gospel is more important. So in one sense, in, in the best possible way to explain this, I'm willing to become a slave so that I may proclaim the freedom of Christ. Not a slave to sin. Not, not a slave to, to, uh, to anything that dishonors Christ. But a slave to serving men and women who need to hear the gospel. And we must be ready to do that. Sometimes we may have to sacrifice. Maybe our parents, our parents might be something that we have to sacrifice. We have to choose our clothing wisely. You know, sometimes 
church has become so accustomed to, this is how we, we think, this is what it, it means to dress for, for church on a Sunday, right? But, but what if we, we get thrown into a culture where everything changes about how, what dress looks like, and a certain kind of dress actually puts people off, makes, makes it hard for people to come, and then we sacrifice a dress. If, if, if people start saying, if we start to, if we start to, to, to hear word that people, people are not comfortable going to places where everyone's wearing jeans and, and, and they're casually dressed, and what draws them is formal wear, then we start to wear, then, we, then tomorrow, the next week, Jimmy's going to have a tie on, straight tie, three-piece, right? Because we sacrifice these things, we sacrifice for the gospel, right? And if, if for example, you're free to do whatever hairstyle you want, in some, yes, yeah, you're free, you're free in Christ, within the boundaries of love and service. So, if you, you start to learn that actually people don't listen to the gospel when someone has long hair and they need low cut, then me and JJ will go to the barber tomorrow. Because is we sacrifice. JJ, don't worry, I'm not saying, I don't think that's the truth. That's not happening yet. Uh, but but you, you, you make sacrifices. And sometimes it's things that we hold so dearly. Sometimes it's language, right? Language changes. Very often, from you know, generation before you know it, language change, and so so you're not going to place your, you know, you're not going to place let your language be a barrier. You sacrifice that. Oh, people don't speak this way anymore. I'm not. Of course, we're not going to choose profane language. We won't do that. We won't choose language that dishonors Christ. We won't choose corrupt communication. Um, I was speaking again when I when I was speaking at evangelism today. Um, I was speaking about God to this woman, and I kept on saying, you know, he, he did this, he did that. And at one point, the lady said to me, why do you call God, why is he a he? Why is God a he? And I was struck. I said, well, why is God a he? There was nothing I could do. I'm not going to tell you my answer now, but there was nothing I could do as a man who wanted to be a servant to her. There was nothing I could do to alter that way of speaking because I'm not going to change how God has revealed himself. I couldn't say, oh, if it makes you happy, I'll say she. Uh, no, no, no. Because I'm a servant to Christ first, not ultimately to her. So we, we, won't, we won't change things that, uh, that, that, that distort revelation or the truth of God. We're not going to change that. That's not what I'm saying. But we, we, may, we, may, we may have to modernize. And sometimes the Christians, you know, sometimes there are some Christians who are so... Uh, opposed to modernizing and becoming contemporary in any, of course, sometimes contemporary is not good, but many times contemporary is necessary. The point is we're willing to sacrifice, right? And, and sacrifice does not get in the way of claiming the gospel. And Paul shows us that neither separation that sometimes happened amongst men, neither sacrifice. And lastly, um, I'll say quite quickly, it's interesting uh, this interesting section from verse uh, 6 to verse 10. And, 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 and um, the leading of the Spirit, the, the, the leading of the Spirit, how, how um, and of course, you may think the, lead, the leading of the Spirit is not going to be a hindrance to, shouldn't be a hindrance to, to the gospel. But it's, 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 it's the interesting way in which it shows itself here. We're used to hearing, to, to expecting the Holy Spirit to send people and tell them to go. You know, earlier in Acts, we already read how the Holy Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas and told them to go. He sent them. So we're used to seeing that. But how about when the Spirit tells them not to go? 
when the Spirit says, no, don't go and show, share the gospel there. So verse um, 4, verse, verse 6 and verse 7 both emphasize this. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy, Ghost, Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Again, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. They wanted to go a certain way. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I don't know how this happened. Maybe a, a, a word of prophecy. Was it a vision? I don't know. But what Luke tells us is they received clear instruction from the Holy Spirit. That they were not to speak the gospel. It, 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 it humbles, it should humble us. Remember the sovereignty of Christ and the sovereignty of God in even how we share the gospel. Uh, again, this, this is an analogy, and I was, it was, it was uh, Marianne who I was going with who was saying it. We chose, we had a strategy when we went to uh, Victoria Park today about who we were going to speak to. We couldn't speak to everybody. So we chose to speak to just certain people in like a particular, whatever our strategy was. Well, what that meant was, we would have to go past certain people um, to share the gospel with us. So at one point, Marianne says, you know, it's so sad because we're talking to all these people, but all these other people are missing the, the, the truth of the gospel. And now, I'm sure many of them have also said, we don't want to talk to you anyways. I'm not saying they were all, like, running after us. But it, it was, it, it reminded me of God's sovereignty over who the gospel reaches. There's these people in, in Victoria Park today who, who didn't hear the gospel, some of them may, 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 may never live to hear it again. There's some people who heard the gospel and who will be saved by it. There's people who, by it and reject it, who, who hear it and reject it. But God is sovereign over the work of the gospel, isn't he? He's sovereign over uh, the spread of the gospel. And we, we have to be sensitive to that. And sometimes God closes doors. He closes doors. He, 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 in his sovereignty, he decides that the gospel is not going to reach there. And sometimes it doesn't matter how passionate we are and how much we work, we can't get in there. You know, I, I know that, for example, more, more in America than here, but, you know, Christians complain so much about the gospel not being allowed in the schools, and they're not allowing us to read, allowing us to read the Bible in schools, and it's okay, Christians can complain about that, fair enough, but in God's sovereignty, sometimes he's just not going to open that door again. You can't explain it, you can't, you know, God, is, God has allowed that to happen in his wisdom. Of course, it's, it's also human um, it's, it's, it's human rebelling against God, but we ha we just have to we humble ourselves under 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 what God, how, how God sometimes does that, how sometimes God closes the doors, and it, it's not our gospel. We should be we must be passionate to share the gospel. We should be passionate to tell the gospel with others. But let's never forget that ultimately it's not our gospel, and it's not our elect to call home. It's 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 the Lord who uh, decides. Sometimes that happens, but. Even when God does do that, ultimately, God is not placing a barrier to the gospel being spread. There's no, there's no way in which we can say we sense that God has not called us to share the gospel here and there so that now we are never sharing the gospel anymore. There's no way that a church can say, the reason why we're not telling the gospel to anyone is because this world is so bad. This world is so dark and this world is so evil that we've decided that no one deserves to hear the gospel. No one will listen, no. Even when the Lord closes certain doors, it's because he's going to open others. And Paul, finally, though there's two examples of God saying, no, don't go there, and no, don't speak there. And Paul is eager and ready to speak, but God says no. God then, um, again, in this kind of 
extraordinary way by which the apostles receive direction. God does open a door and say, um, so verse 9, a vision appeared. In a vision, Paul sees this man. He says, come to Macedonia and help us. Come, come to Macedonia and help us. It's, it's, it's amazing. The people in Bithynia, the people in Asia Minor where, where, where Paul is told to go, they need help. They need, it. they need the gospel. Everyone is in need of help. They need the work of the gospel. But God had chosen these particular people of Philippi to be the ones, the people in Macedonia, to be the ones who hear the gospel, who hear this truth. And they became, and that's where they went. And that's where they went. Um, so even when God had sh- shut certain doors, closed certain places, and had chosen not to allow the gospel to go to certain, at least for a season, there was other places where God wanted his people to be laboring. And so all in all, as I said, I think um, we, we learn, as, as we, we see Paul embarking on this missionary journey, nothing is going to be to stand in the way of making sure that the gospel is preached. Not severe separation, not, uh, um, not separation, not, not the level of sacrifice that may have to be made sometimes, and not even the way the Spirit sometimes withholds opportunity. Ultimately, God's desire is for us to get, to push the message of the gospel, to push it forward. And um, friends, God wants us to jump certain hurdles, to be willing to make sacrifice, to be willing to go the extra mile to make sure that the message is spread. God wants us to use all of our invention and all of our gifts and creativity and resources, and to channel them into thinking through how can the message keep on going. He's not saying that barriers won't come, obstacles won't come, we will face hindrances, we'll face challenges, but we must be decided, we must be committed to obeying the command of Jesus Christ to tell the gospel to the nations. But don't forget, Jesus commanded us that clearly that we should go into the world and proclaim his truth. He commanded it after stating all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. The one who has all power. We see now that a lot of our human powers, especially now in this period of our world, they're running helter-skelter. COVID has confused them and the pandemic has, you know, the powers of this world just all over the place in our country where we're going through it right now. Um, they, 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 there's, a, there's a lot that they're powerless to do. Those electricity and gas bills are already hitting. But these guys tell us we're powerless to do anything about it. So October might be cold. But uh, our Jesus has all power. And you know that power that he has? An absolute control the absolute control that he has, that he wields over everything, what's he wielding it for? To glorify his name by spreading the gospel to the nations. Plug into this, brothers and sisters. We must plug into that. Okay? We must, we must, we must look to Jesus to see what he's doing and, and dedicate ourselves to become a part of that. Um, let's, let's expend our lives um, given to the cause of the gospel. And, and so uh, being willing to face different challenges and jump different hurdles 
make sure that Jesus Christ is known. Amen.